The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. Hi, my name is Mark Yuskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MM&M, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with my health team. Here with me today is Eric Peacock, co-founder and CEO. Eric, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And uh, we're talking about how to create authentic connections with patients who are living with chronic conditions. You know, at last month's MMM Transforming Healthcare Conference, you shared ways digital platforms can enhance equity and access, cost and quality. And it was excellent. So if, if anybody out there didn't hear your uh, take on that, you're in luck because Eric's going to offer an overview of that in a bit. But let's just back up a second and start with a more fundamental question. Now, this seems like an obvious question given what Google, Apple, and Facebook have done to make it harder for advertisers to connect with consumers through the use of paid digital channels. But can you talk about, in your own words, why it's hard for pharma marketers and agencies to create meaningful relationships with health consumers these days? Sure, Mark. You know, I think there are kind of two or three factors that make it difficult for a, an agency or a commercial team at a pharma company to be able to create authentic connections. One is, you know, kind of on the recent changes in privacy and doing away with third-party cookies and things like that that's happening amongst Apple and Facebook and Google, which just makes it harder mechanically to kind of identify and follow patients around the internet. There are really good reasons for doing all of that. You know, patient privacy is probably the most important thing we can all be thinking about here, but it is making it really, really difficult, even for, you know, credible, well-meaning, uh, you know, authentic organizations that are trying to help patients. So that is an obstacle you have to overcome, and you really do need to figure out how to partner with other first-party databases that allow you to, you know, be where the, the patients are. That's kind of a more recent thing. I think one of the more systemic challenges, though, for agencies and for pharma is they're usually focused on a one-year plan supporting a drug that a patient might be on for anywhere from six to 18 months. Put a little differently, you know, what we do is we create social networks for people with chronic conditions. So we've launched social networks now in 42 different chronic conditions, everything from my MS team for people with multiple sclerosis to my spondylitis team, my ovarian cancer team, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that we've seen very consistently is they, our members often say that we are the one constant in their lives. Their drugs frequently change. Like in MS, when we did a survey recently in multiple sclerosis, 50% of the people had switched disease-modifying therapies within the past two years. And we all know the issues with adherence. I mean, people are pretty much on a drug for about six months. So um, they're frequently shifting therapies. Um, the agencies and the pharma companies who are coming up with budgets are focused on an annualized basis. You know, they kind of get their budgets for the year. They think about the tactics for that year, not kind of the long term. And if if those priorities shift away from the drug they're focusing on from year to year, a lot of times the things they build for digital just end up being, you know, kind of deserted towns here where you'd set something up and now nothing's happening a year later because it's not ongoing. It's not given support. If you shift back over to the patient point of view, they're like, okay, my drug's not consistent in my life because I changed that a lot. Their doctors aren't very consistent. Doctors switch 
practices go from large public places to concierge service like crazy right now. So to have a consistent doctor, whether it's a primary care physician or your specialist dealing with your chronic condition is kind of a rarity these days, particularly on the coasts. So that's been the other thing. And then the third is insurance. Um, now, depending on the condition we're talking about here, if it's, if it's a condition that impacts mostly older people, then you get some stability with, with Medicare. But if you're still on private commercial insurance, people change jobs really frequently every couple of years, right? And so insurance changes as well. And even if you are on the same insurance, their formulary ch- changes over time. So there's so much variation that's happening you got to kind of flip the script a little bit. And rather than trying to create the destination for the patient to come to so that you can deliver your message, you have to go to where the patient is. You have to listen to the patient where they are and provide solutions to them where they are. And that's hard because most agencies and most pharma companies have very little direct interaction with any patients. Sure. Right. A lot of the refrain that we hear is that uh, the companies, the manufacturers lack that patient level data that would allow them to kind of personalize messaging and that kind of thing. We bring up a lot of great points in terms of the stability of insurance or the instability, as it were, as physicians as well, people changing physicians, physicians changing their setting of practice, all complicating the task of, of marketers to try to connect with them. And oh, by the way, it's been really hard to get to the physicians <laughs> for the last couple of years, right? So mm-hmm. increasingly sure. that connection between the MSLs and the, the folks in the pharma company to that physician has just been blocked. Right, right. Which means that the flow of information to patients uh, once again gets gets impeded. That's right. So let, let's shift gears for a second and uh, talk about a little bit about what you have learned that works in patient engagement that others perhaps can replicate. You know, at the, at the recent MMM Transforming Healthcare Conference, you, you shared a framework. Can you talk through that at a high level? Yeah, yeah, sure. So at the conference, I was trying to just look back in the last 10 years of my health team and figure out what's worked for us. What have we found builds the most authentic connections, not only for our own business, but in our partnerships with pharma companies and agencies? And I think they were like, three big lessons from it. One was that you got to fall in love with your user's problem. So the the problems that patients are facing, not your own product. And it is just human nature to fall in love with the product that you designed, that you spend all your time fixing and tweaking and advertising and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of like one of the biggest, most obvious mistakes. And whenever we focused on our product and said, hey, you know, person with MS or breast cancer or whatever, don't you want to do this? It, it never goes as well as listening to what they need and providing a solution for that. So I, I can give you a, 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 the formula that we've kind of developed or the, the four-step process we've developed for falling in love with a problem. And I think it doesn't matter what company you have, whether even if it's a digital company or not a digital company, I think it's the formula that just works. And, and that formula is, um, we call it LPSL, L-P-S-L, uh, just as a little mnemonic. So L stands for listen with empathy. You have to listen to actual patients. And this is super hard for pharma to do. They don't have direct access to patients. And typically who they're listening to are KOLs, 
or medical directors who say, this is what a patient cares about. And we've done extensive quantitative research, much of which has been shared and published, um, you know, that shows what patients say are their priorities and what KOLs say are the patient's priorities. And it's like a Venn diagram that doesn't, is not a perfect match. You know, it's a very little overlap. And so the challenge <laughs> is when you listen only to KOLs to figure out what your strategy is going to be, um, you miss the obvious things that they're saying they need solved. So listen for that problem. For example, the, the, I think I mentioned at the conference, over the past two years, we kept seeing all of our members across all 42 conditions asking the question, hey, you know, I've got, should I get the COVID vaccine if I've got uh, Crohn's or I've got cancer or I'm on chemo or I'm on an immune suppressing therapy? And they didn't have great access to the clinic at that time because they didn't want to go in because of COVID. But they didn't believe the CDC had, you know, any idea what it meant to have RA or anything like that, right? So they said, I have this pressing problem. I'm thinking about COVID constantly. I'm petrified of getting it. And I don't know whether I should get the vaccine. So that was a huge, you know, pressing problem. And that's what the P is. So L is listen, P is for problem. And you identify the pressing problem. And that's important because anybody facing a chronic condition has about 10 problems they're trying to deal with. But what's the thing that's right in front of them right now that you can help with? And so in that example, it was, do I get vaccinated or not? Um, the third is solution. S stands for solution. And here the idea is, if you can directly solve this problem for them, do it. If you can't directly do it, but you can partner with somebody who can do it and you can sponsor that, do it, right? So one of the problems we've heard is for women with autoimmune conditions like Crohn's disease or RA or psoriasis, if they're thinking about getting pregnant, one of the questions is, actually, I should say the assumption they have is I should get off all of my meds before I try to get pregnant. Is that right? Um, well, it, it turns out if you have Crohn's disease and you go off your meds, there's a real decent chance that you'll not only harm yourself kind of from a nutritional basis, but the baby as well, similarly with RA and psoriasis. So then the solution is, so what do I do? Because my ob doesn't know anything about rheumatology or gastroenterology and vice versa. So the solution in that case was for us to bring in the experts who understood both and provide real objective medical education that says, here's what the questions are to ask your ob or the things to inform them about, and here's what you say to your neurologist, rheumatologist, gastroenterologist, and so on. So that's a solution that you can provide or you can facilitate the provision of. Most of the solutions we provide with our partners are educational. It's medical information. It's medically approved. So you empower that person, that patient, to go in and be the best self-advocate they can be, have the right conversation with their doctor. So that's the S. The L in Lipsol is for language. Um, and what I would say is if you want to get a good solution, just do the first three, L, P, and S, listen, problem, and solution. But if you want an excellent solution, you got to think about language you use to communicate that solution. and communicate it back to users in their terms, in their language, not in medical speak. It 
just elevates you above all the other noise out there in the market trying to reach patients and shows that you actually understand what they care about, how they're feeling, and how they talk about their disease. The classic example in that would be chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder or emphysema, where the medical speak for what happens when you run out of breath is an exacerbation. But what all the patients on my COPD team say is, oh, I got SOB. (laughs) They refer to it as SOB for shortness of breath. (laughs) And that means like, if I go SOB, it means like I cannot get enough oxygen. I fall, I pass out. It's the scariest thing that ever happens to them. But when you use that language, you instantly connect with them. So that's the Lipsal process. We, we, we tend to follow now. Anytime we're partnering with a pharma company to try to promote their drug or do patient education and say like, let's figure out what problem we can solve let's, that's relative, you know, relevant to your, your brand. How do we get the brand around that? and then provide a good solution. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that framework. I love the idea of, you know, falling in love with their problem, not your product. I think that's a very powerful yeah. one for anybody in marketing. How has the My Health team approach to serving patients perhaps evolved over the last decade? Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, always surprising to me that we've been at this for 10 years, but when we started um, back in 2012, uh, pharma companies weren't sure whether they wanted to go to social, you know, like, oh, social, the wild west, you know, where, where there's user generated content. And what if they talk about side effects and all this and that? And so, you know, it, a lot of what we started off with was more on the medical affairs and researchy side and clinical side. But what happened, of course, since then is everybody's gone to social because you want to try to get where the patients are. Better yet, you want to try to be where the patients are actually talking about their condition and engaging them there. So now the commercial side is just, you know, very, very big part of our business. And everything we're trying to do is just make, make sure we authentically connect our partners with our members so that if a member sees something that, that uh, we're doing with a partner, they go, that can really benefit me. I get it. I get why they're doing this. I appreciate how transparent they are. For me, Personally, we've always had the same litmus test we've used for 10 years when deciding who to partner with. Now, litmus test is simple. We'll partner with you if we can be transparent with our members and it empowers them such that if it were my mother or your mother, we'd want her to see it. And when you follow that true north, it works really, really well. Okay. I like that. That's a good litmus test. Uh, What's the top takeaway from the pandemic that will impact your future approach? Well, I think the pandemic did did a few things for us at my health team. One is it changed our relationship with our members changed. They not only looked at us just the place where I go to connect with other patients, but we became kind of an advocate for them, the trustworthy advocate. Okay, they figured out, they got the expert in here to t- tell me the real deal about COVID and COVID vaccines and and gave me the information I needed to do to handle you know, telehealth and all that kind of stuff. So we built a much deeper relationship with um, our members. And I think in doing so, um, you know, you talk about the dangers of falling in love with your own problem. I think we as a company had fallen in love love with this idea of a social network where patients disconnect with each other and talk with each other. But what we realized is for every one patient who's interested in talking with another patient, 
Um, there's probably four or five who are information seekers. They are gathering information that they want to be actionable and tailored to them. And so now I think it's really important to do both. Listen for that problem, provide actionable information, and then give them a safe place to talk about that with, with uh, other patients. But it's not just a total reliance on social. You have to do social and you have to do that informational um, aspect. And, and, you know, it's hard to get access to specialized healthcare now. And I guess one of the benefits of the pandemic is people got a lot more used to telehealth. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about going forward is how can we move beyond just providing social support and information, but actually partnering with the companies that could bring real telehealth to our members. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the importance of the informational aspect combined with the social aspect and not combined with partnering as well. Um, uh, because you, you know, you've shared s- several examples with, with us uh, over the years of how you've brought in that special KOL or that special expert uh, that the patients really appreciate. And they really appreciated that during the lockdown phase of the pandemic where, you know, they could just sit in their living rooms and, and hear from, you know, some of these recognized experts. But can you share an example of something, um, you know, that you, perhaps you got wrong along the way uh, and how you, you reset from that? Yeah. Early on, when we were providing content, I think the places we maybe didn't weren't as successful is when we didn't start by listening to the patient. We didn't start by listening for that problem. We started with, well, here's an assumption of something they must want to know about, right? And oftentimes, if it's, I don't know, like a part of the indication of a drug, like, yeah, it's for people with this disease who also have trouble sleeping at night, you know? You just take that, that topic and you dive down on that topic. And that works fine, but it's a bit more of a push rather than a pull from the audience. So I'll give you an example of, of a pull from the audience. And, and, and this was one of the points I, I brought up in the, in the conference about, you know, in addition to falling in love with your user's problems, one of the keys to success is if you can read their minds or help them see around corners. So put another way, it's address the questions they are afraid to ask, but are on their minds, or um, the problems they don't know to ask, where you help them see around corners. And when you do that, holy cow, do you get huge engagement. So reading their minds, um, what we have seen from all the research we've done across a lot of conditions fall into this category of the up there's and the down there's. Patients have problems with the up there's, that's mood, memory, energy, and the down there's, that's sexual functioning, bowel, and bladder issues. And you would not believe how common this is from everything from um, autoimmune condition, neurology, uh, rheumatology, gastroenterology, all the way over through oncology. And, and even in heart disease and diabetes. And, and these patients are leery of bringing up these topics to their doctor. Um, sometimes they elevate the doctor to godlike status for, I don't know, saving them after their heart attack. But the last thing I want to talk to this doctor about is my erectile dysfunction or the fact that I have to wear depends. Um, but it's really important that, that the doctor does know about those issues because it tells them a lot of the, the disease progression in MS, for example. And there's different ways you treat the different symptoms. It's not all about the disease modifying therapy. There's other things that a doctor can do with you. So when we started writing and interviewing people about those topics, the up there's and the down there's, 
the absorption of that and the response to that was huge. And usually it ends up with like a whole lot more questions. They see it's okay, it's destigmatized to talk about this stuff. It's this great virtual cycle you get where you bring the stuff up and they bring you more content, more problems to solve. And it's just this constant engagement. We're at the point where we have a a live Q&A in multiple sclerosis every other month with Dr. Aaron Boster because we get like 300 questions every time he has one of these things. So you do that Mm -hmm. and you associate your brand with that. uh, It's really, really powerful. Yeah, right. Talk about empathetic listening and Mm -hmm. hearing what people want to talk about. You mentioned earlier that uh, the marketers that you work with, the prospective partners, uh, are often working on like twelve to eighteen month rotations, you know, on their on their brand teams. So, what's the most common question you get from a prospective partner who is perhaps new to the patient social network scene, and how do you answer it? Yeah, I think there's there's a few kinds of questions we get. One is they they want to understand, hey, what happens if they talk about side effects of our drug, or what if what if they try to give medical advice. And for those, I say, well, we do adverse event reporting for you, so you don't have to do that. And um, if they try to give medical advice, we actually monitor our social networks and we don't allow patients to give medical advice. They can share their personal experience, but they can't give medical advice. That's what your doctor's for. Um, Then I think there's more the strategic questions, which usually fall into, you know, one of three categories. The first is, um, what are the topics that what are the problems basically? What are the topics that patients want to learn about that that we can get associated with? We bring to our partners a list of about 20 different topics that need to be addressed because we see our members. We have 3 million registered members. They're talking all the time. And only about 18% of the conversations are about meds. Everything else is about the burden of disease, life hacks, questions they have. So we know sure. what topics right. need to be addressed. We also do tons of research on Google searches that are being done because we write that content for search engine optimization purposes too. The other question is, it took me a few years this hitting me over the head before I realized we needed to get a lot better at it, which is fundamentally, what should I buy from you? Like, so what's the package I should use if I'm launching a new drug, for example? And how's that different than if I'm, you know, I've got a, I've got a Humira out there and it's been around forever and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to preserve brand. And so in that situation, it's, figuring out the different products that we would put together in a package that we're doing with our partners. Okay. Thanks for that. Yeah. Certainly probably a a wide menu of ways they could partner with the social network as vast and and broad and deep as my health team. You know, the same has to apply to us. I, I like those conversations a lot because we have to apply the Lipsol formula to our own clients. And like over the last year, we've been doing a lot of listening to our agency partners and our, and our commercial team partners. And they gave us a ton of feedback about, they're like, all, right, all the stuff you have is great, but I want this, 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 and this. So like, you know, we've just launched five new products totally in response to that. Like wow. we've got influencer packages for having real patients on our platform and on Instagram and TikTok and other places actually bringing attention to educational resources or Member portraits, which are like video stories of a day in the life of actual patients. Care guides that are interactive discussion guides. And the kind of feedback from our clients was everybody's got discussion guides, but they're so staid. They're so non-personalized. And so we've developed personalized ones, which, you know, Mm -hmm. actually involves 
the user at answering questions and figuring out the right set of responses for them to bring to their doctor. Um, connected TV is huge. And we're now doing connected TV, which is, you know, we have a big first party database um, that we, in a de-identified way, can can use to be able to deliver a message to members on connected TV when they're watching Hulu or whatever else. I mean, that's mm. huge. It's a way to expand reach. And then even, um, again, not falling in love with your own product, we fundamentally are social networks where patients interact with each other and we provide information as well, educational information. But there are some symptoms or therapies like gene therapy, for example, or even conditions that don't really lend themselves to a whole lot of social interaction between patients, but you still need um, you know, informational resources and education for those patients. So for those, we've, we now launch what we call My Health Team Knowledge Centers on a specific topic that maybe isn't for a full patient social network. So all of those were things that came out in the last year based off of feedback we've been getting from our clients. You certainly sound like great partners. Thanks. Just a couple more questions, Eric, and I'll let you go. You talked at our recent uh, Transforming Healthcare Conference about health equity, which I yeah. thought was really fascinating. We gave some great examples uh, and some really interesting disease states like vitiligo and then lupus, where you found that the one-size-fits-all approach really did not take into account racial differences, obviously. So what role do social networks play in addressing issues around access and inclusion? Yeah, this is a huge issue, very important to us at my health team. And I, I think, you know, again, it starts with listening. But if you try to go listen to patients who are normally in the clinic, you'll miss out on the very group you're trying to serve. Like you actually have to seek out marginalized, underserved patient populations and understand what their real experience is. Now, the nice thing about social networks and other digital solutions is like our social networks are free and we, are going to find you somewhere. We're going to advertise and make sure you know about us if you're on the internet. And so you're going to have heard about us. So there's no access issue and it's free. There's no access issue. And we're going to provide content that's relevant to you. So I'll give you a few examples. In Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, also known as IBD, there's been research that has shown that if you show up to the clinic and you're black, and you are experiencing all of the normal symptoms and presenting the normal symptoms of Crohn's disease, you're much less likely to get a full diagnostic workup than if you are that same person presenting, but you're white. And we partnered with the researchers who did some of that work and now are out there addressing it, Dr. Yaboa, Dr. Odafalu. And these are two women who are specialists and gastroenterologists, both of them black and African-American. And they actually did video educational resources addressing these issues. So that started by listening to actual patients who were experiencing, you know, this different lived experience of having the condition and, and that kind of uh, lack of equity. It continued, though, with identifying people who look like them, who understand this issue, who are the experts in it. And then the, the most important thing afterwards is you can't just say, wow, it sucks to have to face that, you actually have to give them actionable advice. And these two doctors kind of shared really good tips. Here's the questions you ask. Here's the things you look for to make sure you get the appropriate care that you deserve. Um, that was a really big one, but this happens across more than just IBD. It's, it's everywhere. So I think the opportunity is to actually listen to and reach 
and, and, and provide information that enables people um, to be their best self-advocates. That's, that's what digital and social do for you. It's, it's a really interesting direction that you're taking the informational aspect of what you do in, I thought. When you look across the digital health horizon, Eric, what are you most excited about you know, for the future? I think there are two things. One, it comes back to the point I made earlier about helping patients see around corners. And then the other is just making it easier for them to get the services they need, um, largely through telehealth um, as, a, as a first stop. So I think on the, on the first point, um, seeing around corners, we talked about like what are the questions they have in their head that they don't want to talk about, the up there's and the down there's. But what if they don't know what's coming next? They don't know what to ask. Like a classic example would be when we first launched in our social network in breast cancer, you know, eight years ago, we would regularly see women saying things like, um, how come nobody told me I should do fertility preservation before I go through chemo? I now can't have kids. So seeing around corner, hey, before you go and before you start that treatment, I know you're just diagnosed and you've got a whole lot going on, but here's some things to think about and ask about down the line to, to think about that. And now there's just a range of issues like that in, in oncology. And we now have eight different oncology social networks. And so we're regularly helping patients just see a few miles ahead of them. Here's what's going to come next. Here's how to prepare for that. Um, that's pretty big. And I, I think what social allows us to do and digital allows us to do is to personalize that in a way that just has, has not happened in the healthcare system, right? And can't really scale in the healthcare system, but can if you go digital. The second is, as I mentioned before, like moving beyond just the social and the informational piece and starting to go, huh, um, you're like uh, two thirds of our members who experience some form of depression, anxiety. Here's some really great offerings that are cheap and accessible online right here to help you with your mental health. Or maybe here's all the things that after you've gone through a big surgery, you know, here's a way that you can take care of yourself after that surgery at home, you know, good virtual telehealth tools that, that either we provide ourselves or we partner with somebody else to do that. But what I think is going to happen over the next few years is you're going to see combinations of companies. You're going to see a lot of M&A as companies come together to try to provide all the pieces of the solution. And I think where we're excited is we feel like we're the glue. We're the places where the patients are and regularly come back. So how can we cherry pick the best services to bring them? Are you perhaps hinting that uh, my health team is on the acquisition uh, lookout or hunt for acquisitions? Well, you know, I think anytime there's a company that where one plus one can equal more than two and it can actually really benefit members that's always interesting yeah I, I can't say that i'm sitting on piles and piles of cash to go buy companies but but where there's a will there's a way yeah okay to that end let's have another conversation as you uh, help more patients with chronic disease connect with one another and do a better job managing their condition that was eric peacock of my health team and it was a terrific conversation many thanks for listening come back soon for another one this is Mark Yesquitz for the MMNN Podcast. Take care, everybody.